This is a case of a pandemic that we've never seen before reaching across globally um, in, a, in a very quick fashion um, and that's causing fear and guilt. Welcome everybody. Today I'm joined by Paul Oberschneider and we're going to be asking um, Paul, where's the money coming from for developers to complete deals that they're already committed to and the deals that they're not committed to yet, but they want to complete for the rest of this year and next year. Paul, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Matt. So what do you see going on in the funding market from where you're sitting? Well, you know, Christmas, we were really happy to have the Corbin tail risk behind us. And, um, and then the sort of Brexit fatigue went away. Um, we came into January. I mean, you'll have seen agents reports saying transaction, transaction volumes were up 50%, 30 to 50% year on year. And we all felt pretty good about life. Um, it looked like, you know, we were about to get on a, on a good run. And then suddenly this black swan appeared, um, which nobody expected. Um, so, I mean, this has been completely unprecedented because typically, you know, when a market shuts down, whatever asset class it is, it's because typically something's broken um, in the financial system. And actually that's not the case this time. Um, you know, this is a case of a pandemic that we've never seen before reaching across globally, um, in a, in a very quick fashion, um, and that's causing fear and guilt, which is feeding off of each other. So, so, you know, basically what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is, um, actually transaction volumes going to zero and lenders pulling back. And, and I'm, and it, you know, the clearing banks are going to continue to service their best clients as best they can, albeit on a conservative basis. But some of the other alternative lenders that have been in the market in the last couple of weeks or in the last couple of years, sorry, um, they've got big legacy issues. And, you know, right now their main focus isn't new business out the door. It's, it's how do I manage my existing portfolio, what do I do? GDP, GDVs are expected to fall. Um, if I've got projects midstream, how much inflationary escalations am I gonna see in terms of material costs? What's gonna happen to labor? So, so basically most of them have shut the doors. Um, and so kind of that's where we are. Um, we came out the year starting feeling really good. Right now, all the doors are shut. Including your door, or are you still funding? No, well, actually, that's, you know, timing is everything, right? Um, so it took us two years to get the machinery working and get the team in place and get the funding sources. Look, there's a lot of smart institutional dry capital in the marketplace um, waiting for opportunities. And we advise some of those funds, but additionally, we're still funding off our balance sheet because we don't have any legacy issues. So. We're coming out of the box totally clean, um, very opportunistic. Um, we're looking at everything. And I have to tell you, in the last 12 days, we've never been busier. Um, and we're all working, obviously, remotely from home, which makes it a bit of a challenge. Well, not only that, but everybody's working long hours as well. I emailed you at midnight last night and you replied straight away. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's interesting this... I mean, kind of offline here, working remotely 
seems to do one thing and that is focus everybody because when you're in the office you know you kind of spend the day moving around doing stuff talking to people but but if you've got team meetings set up throughout the day and you've got calls to make everybody's super sharp and super focused so i think there's a benefit to all this in terms of work work productivity but the going back to my point the reason why we're so busy is um you know we're seeing deals that were basically on the on the tee the ball was on the tee in legals waiting to get completed at a number of lenders and those deals have just been pulled yeah so so in the last two weeks we've had a number of these come through our door that we had been perhaps talking to earlier on in the year or last year that went to other competitors but those competitors are now gone now those so, deals sorry to interrupt Paul, but those deals are only going to work if the margin was good four months ago because margins are getting squeezed now and um before we even think about what's going on with costs, GDVs are going to slip. So there's got to, margins more important than ever, right? But what about, what about, are any of these deals sitting on bridging loans and now the developers sort of looking around and thinking, I don't know how to get off this development, uh, off this bridging loan because I was relying on the development finance that was going to see me through to completion. The bridging is tricky. Um, bridging is going to be one of the areas right now that's going to probably get pretty hit hard. Um, and the reason for that is most bridging loans don't have, I mean, most bridges don't have planning in place. So without the certainty of what those GDVs are going to be, um, you know, bridge guys are going to really struggle. Plus you can't get a valuer out to any site. So until that changes, until the government measures change where, you know, people can start actually moving around and communicating on the ground, um, that segment of the market is going to be a bit frozen for now. Yeah. The other guys, the other guys that are going to suffer probably are the, the sort of land speculators. I mean, look. The who? Well, the the site finders. Right. Um, you know, there's the good news. The, there's the good news and the bad news. The bad news is is again like bridging, it's going to be really tricky to go find sites. The good news is this is a great opportunity for people to build their pipeline because in six months, um, there's going to probably be a great opportunity for acquisitions. And if you can keep your powder dry, if you can raise capital remotely or whatever, um, a lot of people will try to release equity and things that perhaps before they wouldn't want to do, but in six months times they will. So um, I want to just touch on uh, planning very briefly. I don't know if you take any planning risk when you um, when you fund deals. Do you take modest planning risk or no planning risk? Most most funders don't take any planning risk. Modest, modest. But yeah. you know, I say that probably my colleagues will kill me. But you know, every we're at the end of the day. Unlike most lenders, we're equity guys. You know, our we cut our teeth in the equity markets building stuff and doing stuff. So when we look at a deal, we underwrite it from the viewpoint of if this were our deal, would we like it? Um, and so unlike a lender, you know, we have the tools and the resources to, to come in and fix problems and do things. So we might have a slightly more aggressive view on things, but it's on a deal by deal basis. And it really depends on, on the sponsor and the contractor. And, and I'll tell you how we look at things. First, we look at the project. Most lenders do it the other way around. First, we look at the project. Do we like the project? Does it pencil out? Um, then, then we look at the contractor. 
And lastly, we look at the sponsor, sponsor because the sponsor is really the guy that's pulling the deal together. He's not the guy on site. You know, we need to we need to make sure, and most lenders will need to make sure that the balance sheets of the contractors and the subcontractors are strong enough to execute and support the deal. And, and in this period of time, that becomes really important. So I think on a risk-adjusted basis, you're going to see some shifts in benchmarks. Goalposts are going to be shifted. You're going to see pricing change. You're going to see higher pricing on loans that get done. Um, there's going to be higher contingencies in deals. Um, you're going to see more due diligence on the contractor, on the supply chain, on their balance sheet. Um, and then you're going to have to readjust and extend sales periods because the one thing is for sure is that every week this goes further and further and further, those sales periods are extending. So anything that we were looking at where we were saying, okay, sales periods are going to be about 12 months. We're pushing that out to 16 months plus now. Um, yeah. Now, I know that off camera, you and I have had many discussions about the market and how we've been in a bull run for 12 years. And you correct me and say it's more like 35 years, Matt, and that we yeah. needed this trigger to reset prices and, and everything. It's one hell of a trigger, obviously, but, um, for quite some time, you've been saying the market's overdue a correction. You're well, in quite a good position to capitalize on this, right? Well, you know, I, you know, in hindsight, it's always easy to say these things, but you remember the graph that I used to throw up on your Candor um, presentations. And I've been throwing this thing up for years, you know, two years. And, you know, it was like, like off the charts and, you know, rubber bands can only be stretched so far. And, and, you know, since 1961, based on the Land Compensation Act, speculative land has has really pushed the price of UK housing to a limit that was, in my opinion, unsustainable. And what we really have as a result of that is um, an unaffordability crisis, not so much a housing shortage crisis, but that exists as well. It's an unaffordability. And, and so people's expectations have, have to, to really come down. And unless there's a huge political and radical shift, both socially and in government, that Land Compensation Act thing that they did in 1961 isn't going to change, and prices will continue to go up. So I don't see GDVs in reality falling too much further here. Um, I think long-term bricks and mortar is, 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 a, is a stable asset class that people will continue to move into. I mean, if you look what's happened in, in the liquid markets and the equity markets, um, People just don't have the appetite for that kind of liquidity or for that kind of volatility. And, you know, we're not, none of us are smart enough to, to, to pick bottoms and tops. And I think that a lot of money, both institutional as well as retail will start to look at the liquid markets a little bit differently and allocate more capital into more stable assets like real estate. So I think longer term, this is great for the market. Um, you know, it's, it's sad that it's as a result of what's happening. Yeah. Um, but any black swan event is, is, is an event that is completely unexpected and takes you, um, by surprise. So I want to ask about, obviously what we've witnessed here is an immediate severance of both supply and demand, major disruption happening very quickly. Unlike any other event that I've witnessed, um, potentially anything you've witnessed before. 
presumably the lenders got a large who've, who've got a large loan book out have suddenly got like some pretty major issues to clear up but because you're fairly new you don't have to put your time and energy into those messes and tidy them all up no. you're sort of good to go but how, how are you seeing uh, and what are you hearing about how the rest of the lending market is reacting to this and the impact it's had on them well as i said before all new funding is stopped and i think that it'll depend on you know a deal by deal basis i mean i don't think you're going to see banks are not going to lenders are not going to foreclose they're just going to renegotiate they're going to extend periods um i think for guys with projects in the ground um everybody's going to try to help each other i i, I don't think you'll see what happened in 2008 2009 um where where banks got really aggressive at least in the u.s um i, I don't think you're going to see that because the one thing that's different between now and then was that the financial system now is much stronger than it was in 2008, 2009. There is no liquidity crisis right now. Um, this is all driven by fear, greed, and, and the pandemic and the, you know, so, so the power, the dry powder is there, um, for most people. And when this curve starts to flatten out and people are allowed to go back to work and hit the streets, you're going to see a lot of pent up demand come rushing back, you know, just because transaction volumes have fallen 40, 50% right now is simply because people can't go out the door. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not because the world has stopped. Um, so in, in my personal view is that at some point, probably what happens in, and this is just a, not a scientific view, but a personal view, um, People that were are older that are ill will have to be quarantined for a while. Um, but I think you know once testing and things like that get sorted out, you know most of us are going to be able to get back to work pretty soon. I mean, governments don't have the resources to bail out the global economy, um, and and that that just can't happen because it's it, it's too expensive. Although uh, I was discussing the economy with someone this morning, they told me that in twelve months' time, America will own seventy percent of its own debt. Is that even legal? It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, the banking the banking system works hand in hand in government in every country. You know, one supports the other. You can't have one without the other. So, so yeah, it can do that. I mean, when it wants to increase money supply, it buys it buys treasuries, it buys debt. When it wants to decrease it, it sells it back to the I, banks. So I couldn't believe that figure when I heard it was seventy percent. But I do know that everybody's using the word unprecedented far too much. We've had pandemics before. There's nothing un un unprecedented about a pandemic. But the levels of quantitative easing that we've seen, those apparently are unprecedented levels, and that is the right word. A um, couple of other things I just want to get onto. So I want to ask you about the funding gap between capital and SME developers. Um, presumably that gap has just become much wider and there's opportunity there. What are your thoughts on the funding gap? Absolutely. I mean, the two key areas that we came into this business to address was the structural shortage of housing, which has been created since what I mentioned before, sort of 1961, um, and the buildup of that cumulative buildup of affordability um, of housing. Um, the other was the funding gap. And since bank regulations in 2009 and 10, it's become increasingly more difficult for high street banks to lend, albeit then the alternative lenders and challengers banks came into the market um, to try to fill that gap. But 
that gap is 200 billion um, over the next several years, 10 years. And, you know, the alternative sectors only supplied 6 billion of that, six or seven. So the gap is still there, it's not gone away. And all this is just doing is, is ex it's exacerbating the problem. So um, our, our focus has always been on the SME acronym, the small, medium-sized guys, more towards the medium um, in terms of, of the letter specifically. But, you know, these are guys that typically will build less than 200 units a year. They've got, they're probably good at what they do. They just don't have access to capital. And, and now that capital has been completely shut down. So, which is why I was saying before, we're, we're so extremely busy. Um, but again, there's plenty of dry capital out there. It's a matter of locating it and finding it. Um, what matters most right now is gonna be track record and balance sheet. Right. It, it, if you don't have a track record, um, if you've got a very light balance sheet, um, chances are for the next six to 12 months, you, you, you're, gonna, you're gonna struggle. And, and yeah. probably the thing that you should be doing is just building your pipeline of, of deals and trying to identify stuff. So like the, the, the amateur investor who's got one deal and he's got all his skin in there and he can't bail himself out and he can't put in another X amount of equity, they're gonna have problems, right? That's the person that's gonna get hurt the most um, because you know this ain't real estate 2006 or even 2012 anymore. We're in a new norm here. And pricing is going to change, requirements are going to change, contingencies are going to change, and everyone's going to take a more cautious and measured look at what's out there. And really, the the guys that are going to get by are the ones that have that have the liquidity to do that. Okay. And how do you see the difference between uh, the short term and the long term now that the whole world sort of changed in the last few weeks? Well, I don't have a crystal ball. I mean, long term, I still think that the structural shortage will continue. I think probably you'll see a shift away from maybe sales to rentals, um, you know, as people kind of try to recover. I mean, the rental market here in the UK is actually very small compared to the rest of Europe as well as the U US. Um, it's surprisingly small. So you, you may see a shift there. Um, you're also going to see a shift in 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 terms of where some of those hotspots are. So, retirement and senior is probably going to become a really hot topic um, or a hot market um, as people downsize. So, downsizers, those fifty and overs, kind of like me, you know, that want to move out of the big house. I think those are those are key development areas that. When sponsors should be looking at not just that but hopefully we'll have an image on here of, of the demographic you can see there's this huge bottleneck of baby boomers coming through the through through the, the pipeline so paul risk mitigation is important at the best of times um but never more so than when we're in a market like this what's your advice to invest in developers when it comes to risk mitigation in challenging times such as these well i think in the last um eight eight to 12 months, developers have probably been overpaying for sites. So I think this is gonna give them an opportunity to sort of change the goalposts in their negotiation process. And I think that negotiation process will probably be more developer friendly than it ever has been. So um, I don't think you should chase deals right now. I think you should sort of draw the line and, and make sure that those margins are there for you. Um, 
you know, if I was a sp- if I was a developer, I probably would underwrite my deals with with maybe a twenty percent lower GDV for now, just to be super safe. It's hard to make um, a deal stack if you do that. Though. How do you ever get a deal to stack if you're chopping a GDV by twenty percent? Well, you just gotta you gotta sensitize it, and or or you need to wait. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, that's the, that's where we are right now. Yeah. Um, so you know, build a sensitivity table and see what happens to your project at a five percent, ten percent, fifteen, twenty percent drop in, in GDVs, and where does that leave you? And then you can kind of determine where you can start putting your bids in. I'll tell you one um, thing, if I was like, if I was out buying sites at the moment and not building up Tropolis and Candle like I am, but if I was out buying sites at the moment, I'd be disappointed if all my capital was deployed right now. I'd, I'd be just, I'd be wanting to get out of deals wherever I possibly can and get the cash back in so I can redeploy and pick up some of the, the, the better deals that are gonna get um, tossed out of the prem in the next well, month or two. Well, the thing is, is in an environment like this, there's no hurry. You don't have to hurry, right? Um, so you you know, whereas I think eight months ago people were kind of in a hurry to get stuff done. I think you can be more conservative and and just set lower bids in because real estate, no matter how how you how you work it, it's all about buying it at the right price. Um, there's only so much you can do with build costs. There's only so much contingency you can write into a deal, but it's about buying stuff. You make your money when you buy. You make your money when you buy it. That's exactly correct. All right. And, and then, I think, and that's gotten difficult to do. Yeah. All right. Well, we're running short on time now, but before we wrap yeah. it up, uh, final question for you. What's your appetite in the marketplace right now with everything that's gone on? Well, our sweet spot's always been between sort of three and 20 million. Um, although a lot of the funds we're advising have said to us, you know, we're really capital rich. We've got big balance sheets. We have dry powder. So we've actually increased that. Um, and a letter actually went out today to some of the top finance brokers in the market. So we're looking at anything from 30 to 100 now. Um, Exclusively or would you still consider smaller deals? No, smaller as well. Yeah. But we're just upping our game yeah. um, in this particular market. And a lot of that's going to be related to exit finance. So um, to the point where, let's say you're a developer and you've got, you know, you're, you're sort of 12, 14 months, 15 months into a deal. And you can see now that these, these, these sales periods are extending. You may, that clock is ticking on you. And you may find that that picked interest is going to start choking you pretty soon. So what we actually can do is, is go into projects that are near completion or at completion, practical completion, and we can reset the clock. Um, so condos, resi, you know, bigger, bigger deals we're happy to look at. Um, and we're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of deal flow on that front. So you're not talking about development finance. You're talking about refinancing once the yeah, build is we done. We can do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a good market in times like these. That's one product you see occasionally popping up. Um, that's all we've got time for uh, today. Paul, is there anything you wanted to say whilst we're still here? No, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to talk on your show. It's always a pleasure, Matt. Um, and uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there. Just be measured and be patient. And, you know, don't get in a hurry to do anything. Uh, but, you know, we're open for business. We're, we're seeing lots of deals. Um, we are going to be far more selective, as everyone is. But we don't have legacy, legacy issues. And, you know, we've got dry powder. So let us know what's going on. All right. 
Good to see you, Paul. Thanks for your time. Stay yeah, safe. Thank you very much. Bye. Cheers.